The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's the Ellis Martin Report. If you stay tuned, you'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Is it strange that companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here? No way. They want you to know what's going on. Catch us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. In this episode of the Ellis Martin Report, join me for a conversation with a raving capitalist, Paul Mlodzinovich. He's concerned about world economic woes, and he's cautioning us about the next few months. Dudley Baker of CommonStockWarrants.com and I traveled to Las Vegas and back, and all we brought back was a conversation about resource stocks. And I'll speak with Dr. Brad Thompson of Oncolytics Biotech, trading in the U.S. as ONCY, about remediating brain cancer in children. Let's begin the program. I'm Ellis Martin. In this segment, join me for an interview with the raving capitalist, Paul Mlodzinovich, as we discuss risk in the markets over the coming months and strategies to avoid being negatively exposed to those risks and possible beneficial opportunities in these compelling times. Paul, welcome back to the Ellis Martin Report. Nice to have you with us. Oh, I'm glad I'm invited back. Thank you. I came across an email this morning where you were providing a cautionary tone for investors, people holding on to any kind of assets whatsoever for the fall. Looks like there's trouble in China. There's trouble in Greece. There's trouble in Russia. Somehow that may lead to trouble in the U.S. Let's talk about this. I appreciate getting a chance to discuss it because, you know, I want uh, everybody within the, the, the purview of your program and your voice to make sure they're safe and sound because I think that the next few years, I think uh, millions are going to be at risk. And I think that's uh, the great shame of it. But, you know, you do what you can. The bottom line is this. When I discuss this to folks, and I've even had a, a video on the Greek crisis that was out a few years ago, but it's as relevant today as it was back then. And I think that the U.S. economy, if I can lay down the groundwork, I think maybe that's the best place to start for people to understand why the world is in a perilous shape now, certainly from an economic point of view. When you are running an economy, any decent economy is a balance between supply and demand. And supply and demand means you know, consumption and production. Any decent economy is healthy when these are in balance, both the supply and consumption and production. When you have production that's struggling and you are consuming too much, then you fill in the balance with debt. And you have a situation where debt in America is at historic levels. And Greece is a good example. In Greece, lots of consumption, lots of people want demand, right? You know, you know demand, people want more goods and services. And over there, production is at great risk. So you have a situation where it's totally out of whack. You know, the money coming in and production coverage is not covering supply and demand. So you have a tremendous amount of debt. And so Greece has a shortfall, can't cover its own debts. So you have a situation where it's now negotiating with the rest of the European community, basically, to try to get its books and orders, but that's not going to happen. And so the point of this is this, and why I even mentioned about a quote-unquote imbalance with supply and demand or consumption and production is that you have an explosion of debt in recent years. Part of what's on focus to happen during the second half of the year is that I believe that the Federal Reserve will be increasing interest rates. And the point is this, when you're talking trillions of dollars of debt, Ellis, interest rates rising means that carrying this debt and trying to maintain it is going to become much more difficult. So basically what you end up seeing is that if interest rates rise, 
a number of things will be set in motion during September, October, and November. First of all, when interest rates rise, think about the hundreds of billions of dollars that it's in bonds. You know what happens. I mean, if, if I'm holding a bond and you're holding a bond that say like, whatever, it's say 2%, and interest rate starts to rise, that means that I'm going to have a difficulty with my fixed percentage bond. I'll have to end up selling it. In other words, interest rates rising could prick definitely the bond bubble that is now at historic levels. Next thing is, is that if interest rates rise, that's going to increase the cost of borrowing and a lot of corporations are tremendously over indebted. You're going to have a situation where, you know, there's going to be difficulty with the corporations that are going to be out there. Translation, you could start seeing stocks being sold off tremendously. And the one thing about September is that historically, if you take a look over the last 50 years, if you count which particular month always has the worst performance in the stock market, it's typically September. Now, part of the reason this is, is because typically, September and October is the time frame when a lot of these mutual funds out there, they start closing out their fiscal years. In many cases, they end up having to rebalance their portfolios. And if they see there's a problem with the stock market, they'll start selling their stocks to try to lock in the gains that they've built up over recent years. So next thing is that the stock market has a tremendous amount of margin debt. It's the highest it's ever been in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. So these and a batch of other things, as I was watching all these reports, cumulatively speaking, you're talking about September and October could be one of the most hazardous periods in the history of financial markets. What's that? That's excellent. I understand your logic with regard to interest rates rising and potentially kicking this off. So I'm assuming none of the factors are in place when interest rates began to rise in 1980 when President Reagan came into office, because that actually would show some strength in the economy, some confidence if interest rates were to rise. But you're saying that would not be the case in this instance. Well, back then, the economy was in much stronger shape. And basically, we were the world's creditors during the 1970s. So as tough as the 70s were, the U.S. economy was relatively low in debt. It was much stronger. The rest of the world was much weaker because Look, the rest of the world was uh, mired in things like socialism, and China was a communist country, so it was struggling and poor. America was on the top of the world, both literally and figuratively, when it came to economics. But today, when you compare 1980 America to 2015 America, it's a stark difference. Obviously, our national debt is in excess of $18 trillion and rising, and then we talk about the unfunded liabilities. And we talk about derivatives positions of the financial system. And so the thing is, it's a marked contrast in where it is. And the thing is, the IMF is going to be meeting in October. And it seems as just as the Federal Reserve may very well start to increase interest rates because they presume the economy is getting stronger. And I think much of that is suspect. The IMF may very well grant reserve status to the uh, Chinese currency, the yuan. That doesn't mean it replaces the dollar. It means that it could end up being a competitor to it. Now, the U.S. dollar is still the 800-pound gorilla and will still be. But the point is this. If the yuan starts to gain that kind of status, all of a sudden that unleashes money flows to a great extent. So you can start seeing that being a pinprick as well, where the U.S. dollar is much weaker, which means the United States economy is going to be much weaker, which means that money flows will start to move around, which means that a lot of things will be at risk, and I think it's going to be very hazardous during the second half of 2015. Well, the dollar has definitely taken a, a licking and kept on ticking, so to speak, and you're saying this would be the thing that would perhaps give some real competition to the currency if the yuan were considered another 
basket currency that nation states could use to facilitate trade, more or less, correct? Exactly right. So the thing is that for the U.S. dollar, which will still be the preeminent currency in the world going into this year, the point is is that you start into motion like a death of a thousand cuts and when people and when the other countries can start doing commerce without the U.S. dollar and the U.S. dollar starts to migrate back to the United States. I mean, right now, many people are saying that inflation is not an issue. And I think the point is they're looking at inflation in all the wrong places. We have to understand that much like in the 1920s, inflation is not just an issue of the price of consumer goods and services. When the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars, that money has to go somewhere. If it's not going into the consumer markets to be an inflationary consideration for consumers, that money flows to assets, and which means that this is what you've seen in recent years. How is it that the U.S. economy has been struggling or having anemic growth, yet the stock market is up roughly 200% since its bottom in March of 2009? What you end up having is that we have had inflation, but it's been the stock market, and it's been the bond bubble as well. So in other words, when money starts to flow out of these things, then that's going to be a problem. And if money starts to flow into different markets, you'll start seeing issues with consumer inflation in 2016 in consumer markets, which means that there's going to be problems with paper assets like stocks and bonds, but you'll also start seeing people have been waiting for a few years for when will hard assets like gold and silver start to rebound, and they could start seeing it as early as the fall of this year or sometime in 2016. So there's some real concerns here. Well, we've seen some indications. I recently had an interview with David Morgan. We were discussing indications in the junior mining market where uh, 18% of the stocks have come around, or at least the overall index has increased by about 18%. If you follow a few of these companies, as I'm sure you do, you'll notice that there's some increase in the stock market. But my concern is if there's no other leverage available in the world, and I don't think there is, except for possibly gold and maybe gold stocks, if there's a crash again in the stock market. Won't these gold stocks be affected like they were in the past in 2008 and 2001? Is there no safe haven in the stock market if we see an implosion there? Well, the thing is this, where will money go? The, right. the bottom line is that, as you know, gold stocks, like in any company in the stock market, there's that dual personality. There's the essence of the company and there's the stock itself. You could have a situation where a company could be very healthy and profits and all the rest. But if the stock market, in other words, the stock market holders out there decide against holding stocks, then that comes down and it becomes a buying opportunity. I think that when the market sees that gold and silver are holding their value and even going up, then by and large, the vacuum gets filled and money will flow. And I think that the gold stocks, which have already been consolidated for the last few years, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been very patient with the gold and silver stocks in recent years, and I understand that. I think that their relative strength is going to cause money to flow towards them. I can see them having a strong year or strong time period during the next 24 months, even if the stock market does get hit. Do you think that tech stocks are overflated in general, biotech stocks and regular technology stocks? Well, I think definitely people are not looking at P.E. ratios the way they should be. And I think that for a lot of folks, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think those tech stocks that are related to demographic trends, even if they pull back, they'll do fine. And what do I mean by demographic trends? Like you just mentioned biotech. Well, as you know, Ellis, we have the age of America right now and the aging of society in many parts of the world. So that just increases the demand for healthcare and healthcare-related stocks like biotech. Even if there's a sharp pullback in biotech, 
I think that the demographic wave will, by and large, make them a good buying opportunity for the long term. So demographics will help out some of these things. But I think people within the sound of our voice right now, those people who've heard me before, know I'm a big one on making sure that if you are going to be in the stock market, that you're going to be in generally defensive stocks that are paying dividends, that are earning a profit, and that are tied to what people will keep on buying, no matter how good or bad the economy is. Well, speaking of P.E. ratios, let's talk about P.E. ratios in Shanghai and overinflated market over there and how that could negatively affect the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market. Well, the thing is, funny you should say that because this morning as I was writing my book and looking at the big picture on a chapter that I'm doing, incidentally, as some of the people know, I wrote the book Stock Investing for Dummies and the publisher is having me write like basically a sequel to it. They haven't figured out the title yet. It was either Next Level Stock Investing for Dummies or Higher Level maybe son of stock investing, I don't know, for dummies. But I was doing the research on the big picture because I think these are monumentous times. And tying to your point about Shanghai and the Chinese stock market, by some barometers, they're having a P.E. ratio. Maybe you saw the same thing I did where I forgot which index it was, but it had a P.E. ratio of 95. For those people within the sound of our voice who are not familiar with it, that's the price-earnings ratio. And the price-earnings ratio tries to make a cause-and-effect relationship between the earnings of the company and the price of the stock. So this is one of the few ratios that try to tie in those, that dual personality. There's the company and how well it does, which is the earnings, and then the stock market. Are you buying a company at a good or a bad price? And generally speaking, when the economy is generally anemic, a fair P.E. ratio would be something like either under 10 or 15 or 12 or maybe under 20, you know, depending on whether it's a bear market or a bull market, etc. In other words, anything north of 20 is an issue. They're fine. There are many people out there who have no problem paying a P.E. ratio or buying stocks with a P.E. ratio of like 25 or 30 or 35 because they may be related to growth. That's not really out of whack. But the thing is, is that in the Chinese stock market, to a great extent, there's a lot of leverage going on. And when you see P.E. ratios that are on average of 95, that means you'll have some companies that might have a 60. You might have some companies that have a triple digit P.E. ratio. To me, that is definitely a red flag. And that's going to be part of the, some of the chaos that's going to be spotty but certainly that's going to be occurring in the next 6, 12, 18 months, definitely. You know, I'm reading something from the Telegraph out of the UK where one of the fund managers, and I have to say that your email to your subscribers and to your listeners this morning sort of sparked me to do a little bit of research before our chat today. And I found an article on the Telegraph where a fund manager is quoting, he's saying, it's time to hold physical cash, but if you go back to the beginning of this interview, which you and I are in the middle of right now, how can you hold physical cash if it's going to become worth a lot less. I didn't say worthless, but worth a lot less than what it is right now. The same fund manager is calling for a a systematic event, much like you cautioned toward in September. Well, the thing is this. I think holding some physical cash is not a bad idea, not because you're going to need it for six months or 12 months. The point is, is that if there's some systematic issues and you want to be able to have something in your hand so that week you can go out and get something for yourself or your family, I mean, that's part of the mix as well. People forget diversification is a variety of things. It's cash in the bank, but it's also cash in hand as well. I mean, that's, believe it or not, a form of diversification. You and I made a reference earlier about you know, gold and silver, and, and as you know, my second dummies guide was Precious Metals Investing for Dummies, and I feel that people should have physical gold and silver 
because it's a diversification away from paper assets. So I think that some of the things that he's seeing, I can generally concur with. I don't know what singular event is going to occur. I just think that there's so many red flags out there and so much weakness. And when you have the IMF meeting, potentially interest rates rising, and who knows about black swans from Greece or the Middle East, to me, as far as I'm concerned, it means that people have to review their portfolios before they have to panic. I mean, right now it's only June, but July and August, I think that if they think they're getting through the summer okay, then that's when they should start doing things like trailing stops and all the rest. Look, if I'm wrong and it is no cataclysmic or, or worrisome events during September, October, November, then hey, <laughs> then you played safe. Not an issue. This is kind of like you're going to head into a field where there might be potentially downpours and storms and you don't at least have an umbrella. I mean, look, what does a prudent person do if you start seeing red flags and issues tied to your money? You've got to do things that are reasonable. What should our prudent listeners do in June, July, and August then? The first thing they need to do is this, because sometimes just a minor tweak gets them through. First of all, for those people who are in the sound of your voice who are long-term investors, then consider switching from cyclical to defensive stocks. Look. If all they did was go from, say, stocks that didn't pay a dividend to human need stocks that were paying a dividend, that alone will get them through, and it's not that big of an issue. But I think also depends on blue and the sound of your voice. If you have people in the sound of your voice who are like six months away from retirement, then I would start doing things like putting on trailing stops, maybe even do a, a little covered call writing so you can generate some income from this, and also rebalancing their portfolio away from growth and cyclical areas to more defensive areas like your know, utilities and the rest. If they did something like that, they're going to sleep a hell of a lot better during the second half of this year. And if they are putting on some trailing stops, for those people who don't know what I'm talking about, in other words, if you have a stock that's, say, $30 a share, then you should put, a, like, say, a 10% trailing stop on, which means that if it's at 30 and that means that a trailing stop will put in a stop loss order at, say, 27 In other words, 10% of 30 or $3. So that if there's a tumble, it, you'll get out of 27 It's not saying you're going to sell your stocks. It just means that if they tumble, you'll minimize the downside. And you'll get out of 27 before the stock goes to 24 or 20 or whatever the hell is going to go to. So these kind of mechanisms are going to be fine. And now there's other people within the sound of my voice who might be more speculators. For those who are speculators, and believe me, speculating and investing are two different animals altogether. For those who are speculators, if you're buying some cheap long-term put options on a general market, who knows, you might end up having making some good money. I was just talking to an associate of mine where I was talking about one of the markets when there was a crash of the tech stocks and internets in 2002. 2001, 2002. In 1999, I was buying put options that were it had a two-year window of time. And so being able to cash that out with a triple-digit percentage was great. And then you take those profits and then buy what? Buy stocks with a great dividend that have come down and you have a buying opportunity and then you would be able to increase your ability to succeed. So in any case, I hope that some of these uh, points I'm making will help your audience. Well, it is extremely helpful. I can recall taking your advice in the past and cutting the losses after a 10% drop in a particular stock and then moving it into other stocks that are doing much better and have a lot more promise, a lot more upside. Still speculative on my part, but at least I'm, I'm not following a, a sinking ship because of some sort of loyalty or emotional ploy. Emotion should not be involved in any of this, should it? No, this is very true. And you can't be married to a particular stock. Look, be married to your spouse, or love your family and all the rest. Money is there to serve you, not vice versa. I'm glad to hear that you're doing the right things with that, Ellis. You know? Paul, how can we find you? Well, I know how to find you, but how can our listeners find you? <laughs> well, my nickname is The Raving Capitalist, and the reason why is because I came from a communist country. So my site is ravingcapitalist.com. But one thing that the audience might want to do is probably the one program that I think can help them the most in today's marketplace is a 
program that I've done for 30 years, and it's run on many sites out there called the $50 Wealth Builder. And that's at places like Udemy and many other places. And that's a way to help people uh, invest even in small amounts of money and implement the very strategies you and I were talking about during this session. So thanks for letting me express that, Ellis. I appreciate it. Well, Paul, thank you very much for joining me again today on the program. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks again. I wish you continued success and your audience as well. Make it a great year. I've been speaking with the raving capitalist, Paul Blagenovich. You can listen to the segment again on the Ellis Martin Report on the homepage or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join me for a conversation with Dr. Dr. Brad Thompson, President and CEO of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated. Trading on the NASDAQ exchange as ONCY and on the TSX as ONC. Oncolytics Biotech is a biotechnology company focused on the development of oncolytic viruses as potential therapeutics for use in a broad range of cancers. The company is conducting clinical studies using Reolicin, its proprietary formulation of the human rheovirus, and some of the most prevalent forms of the disease, including lung, colorectal, and pancreatic cancers. Brad, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks very much. Now, if you wouldn't mind, give us a brief summary of the business of Oncolytics Biotech. Well, Oncolytics Biotech is a biotechnology company solely focused on developing therapies for cancer. The technology that we're using is to use a live agent, in this case a virus, to treat a variety of different cancers. It's sort of a leading-edge new wave in, in oncology today to use viruses, and there's probably five or six different companies now looking at different viruses for the treatment of cancer. Now, there are so many different cancers, and we've certainly covered some of them in previous broadcasts, but I'd like to dedicate this particular broadcast based on a recent news release that the company has on pediatric cancer. How many children across North America and maybe across the world are afflicted with cancer each year that you're aware of? Well, there's probably between ten and 12,000 children in the United States every year under the age of 15 that come down with cancers. So if you extrapolate that to worldwide, that probably means around 50,000 children every year. So it's significant from perspective of the children involved, but children really don't get cancer that often. But unfortunate part of childhood cancers is that they tend to be quite serious. So you don't tend to have that kind of benign, in-between kind of cancers that adults get. When children get cancer, it becomes a very serious issue. And we've actually made a lot of progress on survival rates. Forty years ago, the five-year survival rate was just a little over a half. So if you had a child, they had a very poor prognosis. That's over 80% now, five-year survival. But that still means, an example, of the United States, that you probably have close to 1,500 children every year in the United States dying of cancer. That's not an acceptable number, obviously. Now, as far as early detection if these children are so young how do you detect specific kinds of cancer does it depend on the cancer it depends very much on the cancer i mean we have concentrations of cancers there's quite a few leukemia so you know, non-solid tumors type cancers that are bloodborne and they're more difficult to detect early you typically get them later but that's one of the areas we've had the best success in there's been great advances in treating childhood leukemias which is marvelous it was a death sentence before and now it's not some of the other cancers are a little more difficult to detect sarcomas which are uh, soft tissue or bony tumors are more common in children and they tend to be not detected early enough to have very simple therapies. And of course, the one that is most germane to oncolytics is brain cancers, and they tend to be detected actually fairly late. The external symptoms that you get with brain cancers usually only manifest themselves when the cancer is fairly advanced. That was going to be my question to you. When you're talking about a brain tumor or brain cancer, there's, I would imagine, very little early detection involved. And by the time you've diagnosed it, you've got to treat it. And perhaps it's stage two or stage three cancer. This is a very, very dicey area. So you're 
beginning, according to your latest news release, you're beginning at least a phase one study in pediatric patients with brain tumor. Can you lay that out for us and give us some kind of possible hope as to how this disease may be treated in the future using oncolytics technology? Well, children are an extra complication in cancer therapy because the agents that have been historically used attack rapidly growing cells in the body. Radiation, chemotherapy, they tend to be toxic to cells that just grow rapidly. And that's really all cancer is, a cluster of out-of-control cells growing. Uh, But when you think about a child, a child is all rapidly growing cells when they're young. I mean, the nervous system in a child grows so quickly, it's hard to keep track of, I mean, as an example. So when you have tumors in the central nervous system, what do you do about that? I mean, are you going to radiate that? Not very commonly, no. Are you going to treat the child with chemotherapy? Well, no, because, I mean, the toxicity associated with that is very difficult. It's very heartbreaking, honestly, when you get a child coming in with a brain tumor, and because the tools that we normally use in adults just aren't really that applicable to the children. That's further complicated by the fact that a lot of the brain cancers in children are deep down in the brain, in the lower part, and that's the part of the brain that controls breathing and it controls all the autonomic functions. And surgery really isn't an option either. So you have these five to 10-year-old children coming in with cancers. All the available tools just aren't there for you. And so the approach that we're taking with this particular cancer is to take two very safe therapies that don't rely on those mechanisms of action, and that being, in this case, GMCSF, which is a white blood cell extender. It's commonly used in patients after they've had radiation or chemotherapy to restore their white blood cell populations in their body. And combining that with realicin, which we've done a preliminary pediatric cancer study, and it's been shown to be very safe in, in patients. I mean, they get a mild fever and they feel tired for a day or two is, is really the only side effects. And combining those two together to treat patients, and the hope is that we'll be able to have a treatment that's very benign and also can have the effects that we want, which is to treat their cancer and just bypass all the kind of heartbreaking decisions to treat or not to treat with the current standards of care. You used a term called realicin, which is a proprietary term with regard to oncolytics. And again, let's talk about what a real virus is and what realicin is so that our listeners new to the program can understand what's unique about oncolytics biotech and the technology. Well, the virus that we're using, its technical name is virus, And there's three strains of it. And we're using the third strain. So we're using virus type three. And it's a very commonly found in the environment type of virus. Most people by age five have some evidence of being exposed to the virus. Almost all adults have been exposed to the virus. It's part of a growing number of viruses that, yes, they're viruses, but they actually don't cause diseases. And certainly people in the field think that probably most viruses don't cause, you know, the ones that we study, of course, are the ones that cause disease, and that's rightfully so. So you've got this relatively safe or safe virus that's present in the environment, and it just happens to actually only grow in cells that have genetic defects that are linked to cancer cell populations. And so you just have this very elegant solution handed to us by nature for a potential problem, which being this case being cancer. Of course, taking it from being present in the environment and taking it all the way through all the safety and efficacy and all the development, how do you make it kind of issues has been what Oncolytics has been doing since its inception. But it's a very interesting area in that all the viruses that are being tested in oncology, and there's quite a few of them now, all have many of the same elements. They're quite safe. They're quite targeted. They use different mechanisms of action than traditional older therapies. And in this case, with regard to children, it's a technology that would be employed after other curative therapies have been employed and deemed ineffective? Not necessarily. We've focused all our development work at various levels in the treatment lifetime on a patient. And so we've treated what we call first-line patients before with, you know, it's the first time they've been diagnosed. And we think there's a home uh, 
for this particular product in that patient population. And we've also treated you know, second, third, fourth, and fifth lines, so depending on how many cycles or types of treatments that people have failed on. And so it, it fits in well with existing therapies. Realison adds activity to existing therapies. It's what we call synergistic with radiation, which means that it's not a one plus one equal two kind of effect. It's a more one plus one equal much greater than two effect. It's synergistic with most existing chemotherapies, and we're working on looking at some of the new agents, you know, the new biologics that are coming out, and it appears to work well with those as well. So we think it has a home, if you want to think of that, with pretty much any line of therapy and with pretty much any type of existing therapy. When the clinical trials start involving pediatric brain cancer, brain tumors to be specific, how are you going to inform the population of the public that's afflicted that you're available to do these trials? The best place for any patient to find out about any clinical trial that's running in the United States is to go to uh, clintrials.gov, so www.clintrials.gov, where there's a complete listing of most, or in some cases all, depending on the time of the year, clinical trials that are undergoing in the United States. And all I have to do is type in the keyword realison, and it'll give an entire list of clinical studies that are currently enrolling in the United States. And this particular study is up on clintrials. It's got the contact information. People can just contact the site directly to see if they can get onto a clinical study. I imagine when you're dealing with potentially terminal patients and adults, the criterion for clinical trial is not as stringent as it is with children. There's a lot more hoops you've got to jump through with regard to your company and these trials to involve children in this procedure, correct? Yeah, children are treated with extra special care in clinical trials in, in cancer for the reasons that we've already talked about. There's another reason layered on top of that is that, I mean, children aren't legally able to give informed consent themselves. I mean, it's hard to sit down with a five-year-old and say, you know, I'd like to stick you on this experimental therapy and try to explain it to them and have them make a, a reasoned decision upon that. So you're actually relying on the parents. And so there's a great deal of sensitivity in the system that you're, the people you're talking to are the ones that are most upset by the situation, which is the parents. And the children are actually typically far more stoic and far more accepting of the situation than the parents are. And so there's a lot of sensitivity in the system, both for the safety of the children and for the enrollment process. Adults are capable of, of managing their own affairs, and honestly, they're a lot more durable to all the treatments that people propose to stick them on on these clinical studies. It is a, just an easier process for those two reasons. Brad, what can we look forward to during the next 6 to 12 months with regard to rolling out additional trials or technology? What can we say to potential shareholders? Well, we're really entering a really, I think, exciting stage of development with this particular product. And there's really two paths that we're looking at. One, I would expect in the very near future, people will be hearing about what our final first choices for registration studies. So the, the last step to get the product approved kind of studies will be that we're hoping to do that in this quarter or early next quarter. And then those are very important milestones for people to be aware of. In behind that, you're going to be seeing us announcing a number of new study initiatives like the one we did this week, which is looking particularly at the immune system, sort of two prongs of attack on that. One is looking at boosting the immune system, which is this GMCSF, a real license combination. And we're planning on doing that in an adult population as well as the announced pediatric indication. And on the other side, looking at our initial studies, looking at checkpoint inhibitors, which is the current rage in oncology. And the drugs actually remove the blinders, if you want to think of that way, from your immune system. Sometimes your immune system is blinded to a tumor, so it can't actually see it. And if it could see it, it can get rid of it. And these new drugs, which all in the class called checkpoint inhibitors, actually remove that blinding, if you want to think of it that way, and allow the immune system to see it. In relation to your research, which attacks the cancers once they're in place, what kind of preventative techniques 
technology have you discovered along the way? And is that something the company is going to get involved with, especially when it relates to something like pediatric brain cancer? Well, the whole area of what people would normally think of as prophylactic therapy, treating people before they have a disease, absolutely intriguing. And we have spent quite a bit of time thinking about that. I mean, if you have an agent that's safe, and that's the key thing, then you can think about treating people before they have an external manifestation of the disease. When they have a few cancer cells floating around someplace, it would be the ideal time to treat a patient. And so if an agent's safe, like real life, then you start thinking about being able to use it as a prophylactic agent. And we've done that in animals in particular. So the question is, how do you translate that into human use? And that is where the problem comes with prophylactic. How do you prove you're preventing cancer in very large patient populations? And that's just a very daunting task for any company, much less the company the size of Oncolytics, which is a fairly small company. But I think it's possible. And I think there's agents like Realison should be able to be used in that indication. But it's just getting over the developmental hurdle about how do you actually prove it. Well, Brad, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. Well, thank you very much. Hope you have a good day. I've been speaking with Dr. Brad Thompson, the CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated. Trending on the NASDAQ Exchange is ONCY and on the TSX is ONC. Find a link to their website on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com and download the entire program on iTunes. Getting hungry? Eat knowledge. Find it at ellismartinreport.com. Go to the website right now, ellismartinreport.com. Join me now for a conversation with Dudley Baker, the editor of CommonStockWarrants.com. Dudley and I recently spent a week together both in Las Vegas and Los Angeles, catching up and discussing our views regarding the resource sector and resource stocks. Here's that in-person interview with Dudley Baker. I'm Ellis Martin. I'm sitting overlooking the Pacific Ocean somewhere in Southern California with my good buddy and friend and business associate. His name is Dudley Pierce Baker. He's visiting from somewhere south of the DMZ, the Mexican border. Dudley, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be in the LA area, Ellis. Well, you are the editor, the proprietor, the scribe, the voice of CommonStockWarrants.com. We've had many conversations over the year on this program. Let's let our audience in on what it is that you do with CommonStockWarrants.com. What does that mean? Well, what uh, stock warrants are, if you don't really know the definition or not familiar, just visit our website, Great Learning Center we put together a few years back. But very similar to uh, stock options, if you know about stock options, but a warrant's actually issued by the company. A lot of great opportunities. And over the last year or two, we've expanded our service to include all of the warrants trading is in the U.S. markets as well. So we got roughly 200 companies, a lot of biotechs, pharmaceutical companies in the United States. Another interesting segment that has warrants trading is blank check companies. You might say, what the hell is a blank check company? And that is a company that basically is going public, raising anywhere from $40 million to $400 million dollars. And they got no business. And so what they do is they're looking for business opportunities. And you think, okay, so what does this have to do with us? And where are the opportunities? Well, the interesting thing is these blank check companies have long-term warrants that are trading with over a five-year life. A good example of what just took place with one of the blank check companies. So this is just one example of the opportunities in this warrant space. A little company called Levy Acquisition Corporation was a blank check company. They just announced a couple of months ago that they're buying out Del Taco Holdings here in California. The stock went from roughly $10 to $16. The warrant of which we are most interested in went from the $0.20 cent range to over $6. An incredible, incredible gain. So it's a lot of 
interesting opportunities with stock warrants that are in our warrant database. That's just one example of a great sector. There's roughly 15 blank check companies now that are trading, and these are really trading on the NASDAQ market in the U.S. with good liquidity. As we preface here, where are we at in the market, Ellis, is that a lot of our listeners I know are probably more involved with the resource sector, which is not treated a lot of us very well. But as we're recording this here, we're looking for an upside breakout. We're looking for a breakout to the upside versus to the downside. But there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of good opportunities that we've led our subscribers to over the last several months. So it's challenging times. We know that. But we are in the camp of being very optimistic on the sector. Well, you mentioned quite a few things, and I'd like to address the fact that the last time I believe you and I spoke in person, we've been chatting many times on the phone ever since, but it was two and a half years ago in San Francisco at the former Hard Assets Conference, which is no longer in business. That particular business model went down in flames at the tail end of the last dip in the mining sector. I think it was two and a half years ago that I said to you, and to everybody else that I thought the price of gold was overinflated considering the market conditions and that it would essentially drop down to $900. Well, I was wrong. It never dropped down to $900 an ounce, but it did come down to $1,100 an ounce, and we did see a, a large amount of pullback. And the reasons I mentioned at the time, I think, for gold being overvalued were, in fact, true. And it was a buying opportunity, evidently. We have been seeing some activity in the summer, in the beginning of the summer, in June, and the end of May in the mining sector, where really most folks have, have gone away, they've been hurt, they've been damaged, but there's some activity in the sector, and it's based on a number of factors, and you are watching these companies, and some of these companies have warrants, and why are the warrants particularly interesting when it pertains to some of these mining companies and when the warrants become available for sale. What's the situation with regard to that, Dudley? Basically, your question is, so why in the heck are we looking at warrants? So we're always looking for stock warrants. It all depends on the company. What is the underlying company? Do we like the company? What do we think the future is for the company and for the share price? And if so, you have to give some serious consideration to buying the stock warrants as opposed to the common shares of that given company. So it's all about the upside leverage. What will happen is the stock warrants will generally greatly outperform the common shares, and we're looking for that performance to be better than two to one to the upside. And so this is our motivation of looking for stock warrants. And of course, in our service with the common stock warrants, we're giving you the data database of all of these warrants so that investors can look and see what is the list of stocks that have warrants trading? Do I like any of them? And so we've got it broken down really where you can look at all the warrants trading in the Canadian markets or in the U.S. markets or a combination thereof and all sortable and all kind of good stuff going on. So it's it's like we're looking for that leverage opportunities. I know, Ellis, you mentioned recently to me is that you've heard not through the grapevine, but through one of your other clients about a, a Midwestern hedge fund coming into the marketplace looking to invest some money. Now, you and I both know what this means. This is a great sign for the markets. When you get people that are investors that have not traditionally been in the resource sector starting to get interested, what it is is the true contrarian play. And I think all of our listeners need to be aware of stories like this, even though when we're looking at the price of gold and silver and the shares in general, you'd think, wow, this looks like a pretty down time still in the markets. Well, it is. 
But when do you want to be buying? When shares are down or when they're rock and roll into the upside? Unfortunately, most individuals, you wait till the shares have gone up substantially and then you come in and then if they tail back off, you've lost some money. So this is truly the time to be getting into these markets. Well, a great deal of our audience resides in the Midwest, and from my own personal experience, having spent a year in Missouri, in the Kansas City area, I know that these folks are the last to really get involved in something, and they're extremely conservative. No matter how much money they may have stashed away, saved, they tend not to want to spend it, period. And you'll never know that somebody driving down the road in an old pickup truck wearing suspenders and a baseball cap of some sort is not just sitting on a a, a large asset or part of a a large private family fund of some sort, a hedge fund, you just don't know. And while they may be the last folks to get involved in something because of that conservative fiscal policy, in this case, they've not gotten into the mining sector in the last 8, 20 years perhaps, but they're the first to really see a light at the end of this dark, dismal tunnel, which they've never been in. They've never gotten into trouble in this sector because it was extremely volatile. But now it seems that smart, conservative money is easing and eventually may pour into the mining sector. I like this story here, and this is really interesting, that everybody just needs to really listen up. And so I think we all know, I mean, this this has been a nasty, nasty bear market in the shares, at least for roughly four years now. This too will pass. And when it passes, we're going to have some great gains in front of us. You can't make money unless you're in the game, guys. So it's a matter of being very selective at this point but to definitely get in the game. Now, one little company, I won't mention the name because I'll greatly upset my subscriber base, but that I let my subscribers know I had a special report just a couple of months ago, little copper slash silver play selling at four, four and a half cents. It actually hit 12 cents. And so that's pretty incredible. A few hundred percent here in a very, very quiet market. There's some company specific news going on with some of these companies, but the deal is you've got to be in the game. I'm going to mention you, Ellis, as a good example here. So even though you're a subscriber of mine, you get my emails and you knew there was a special report, you didn't get in at the four or five cent range. And you were asking me yesterday, is it Dudley, is it too late to get in at 12 sense. Nobody knows for sure. I am not a short-term player. I'm not in here just for a few pennies. I would like to think that we're going to get up eventually here to 50 cents to a dollar. And so I'm looking at a major home run out of this little company. It's not too late, but you might wait a few days or a week or so and see if it settles back a few pennies before you jump in. But this is just one example in my service. Not only do we have the warrant databases of all the warrants trading, but what I call my gold subscribers have access to my portfolio, my personal portfolio, get to see what I'm doing. Whether you like it or not, you get to see it. So we've got some very small companies in my portfolio as well as some of the bigger players. And so I've tried to balance this out, and I'm really comfortable with the overall positions that I have here at the moment. Well, excuse me. I better call my broker. Give me about a minute or two. Uh, (laughs) You know, I've known about the company that you were referring to for probably 10 years. They've been around for quite a long time. And, and the problem with me is I get inundated with all of these companies because I follow the sector and you know a lot of people in the sector and there's always an investment opportunity and then it's information overload. And I was going to point out or mention to you that really with all this information going on, how do you know what a potential target is? And actually Dudley Baker does because not only is he following the warrants but he's following what the insiders do 
in the company when they're buying and when they're selling stock and then you do a little bit more research and find out what's going on in the ground by the ground i mean the geology what kind of deals are in the offing and had i opened up this particular email and actually read it and then maybe i had the opportunity to call you or at least email you i thought i could have picked up the phone and said dudley is this real is this really going to happen and you would have said yeah and i might have gotten involved instead of waiting for the price to double it's still according to you a buying opportunity now it's 11 cents or almost 12 i think i looked this morning mm-hmm. and i guess the only way our audience is going to find out is if they subscribe to your website commonstockwarrants.com right and again just for the gold subscription i've got a silver that includes only the warrant databases but the gold subscribers get to see my portfolio as well and there's still a special report out there there's still a, a big special report that i have on the blank check companies all of the blank check companies that are trading as well so just a lot of interesting opportunities out there within our services another fact i'm going to raise that don't want to mention too many names here but we know within the resource space you and i know so many of the newsletter writers and the companies the players at our all of the resource conferences that we've been to and we get to interact with these individuals and we know that this sector is hurting really bad whether you are an individual investor that are listening to this recording or whether you're actually a newsletter writer all we know is that some of the names the services are the same but some of the players behind the scenes of these services are changing in weak times economic times regardless of what sector you're in some of your friends can get beat up pretty bad another example and i have no specific news or awareness of all the details of this but i just myself saw within the last few weeks work Casey Research, Doug Casey, the big organization that Doug has built up over, I want to say, decades, actually has partnered up with Porter Stansbury. And I'm thinking this is really interesting. And normally when somebody's looking to partner up or whatever, you like to think you're coming from a position of strength in a really strong market environment. And this is just the opposite at the bottom of the market. So I don't know whether they've lost a lot of their subscriber base, like a lot of us have, and that would not be unusual at all. But the spin that I personally put on this, from a contrarian standpoint, guys, this is showing us another reason why we are probably at damn near the bottom of the markets here, meaning this is the time to be buying. Well, you've definitely helped to raise the green flag for everybody to proceed and get into the market and take a look at several mining opportunities. I mean, I've made some recent investments and I'm probably going to make some more. I can't remember a time except for right after the crash in 2007, 2008, where stocks took a huge dip, but uh, the suppression that has taken place with regard to gold and silver and these stocks has been huge. And as I discussed the other day with our friend David Morgan, the range between the price of gold and the junior mining stocks is huge. I mean, gold certainly didn't go down to $400 an ounce or $500 an ounce or anything even close to that, but yet the uh, the share price levels are below what they were for a lot of these mining companies in the year 2000, 2001, and many of those companies aren't even around anymore. So there's definitely an opportunity for what you like, and those are five 10-banger companies where you, you make a modest investment of some sort, you 
hang around and you watch the news develop for the company, you watch the sector come back to life, and if that 10 cent stock turns into a 50 cent stock or a dollar stock or higher, you've succeeded. You've made a worthwhile investment. Of course, it's extremely speculative, it's extremely risky, but if you put a little bit of money into these junior markets, you could do very well. This is the whole reason that investors get involved in this resource sector. It is a risky sector, and we're here for basically one reason, because when the markets do turn to the upside, there are some incredible gains to be made, and not just the 10% a year kind of stuff. We're looking for that 500 to 1,000% gain or more, and this is what makes it really exciting in this sector. What every investor has to be looking for right now is that if you're coming in with whether you're looking at my portfolio, you're following other newsletter writers, what they're recommending, etc., is which one of these companies, make sure that they have some cash in the bank, that they are going to be around, that they are going to weather this storm, that heaven forbid we've got another six months to a year to the downside before the turn comes to the upside. We've got to be able to weather this storm. Don't come in just carte blanche and just start buying everything. Be selective, and I think at the end of the day, you're going to be greatly rewarded, especially those coming in right now. And if you're already deep into the sector and you say, Dolly, man, all this stuff sounds really good, but hell, I'm tapped out. I don't have any new cash to put in here. Okay, well, again, just live with our optimism here that things are going to get better. Don't be too discouraged. We know that most of you are that have been here for a long time. But we do see that we've got to be nearing the end of this down cycle. And when it turns, it's these big opportunities that we're going to look to to bring us back. Well, one of the reasons that you and I are excited about this sector is because we've been following it for many years. And we've actually done well in the past. And that's why we're still talking about it. Many that got hurt in the sector, in the mining sector, didn't sell when they should have sold, didn't get out when the price of these stocks were high. They felt some loyalty to the company. They've been a longtime shareholder. They maybe got to speak with principals in the company. They've been following the news, maybe involved in some conference calls and just refused to sell. And as the price continued to drop and drop and drop in the company, maybe they averaged down. They just stuck in there. And by gosh, these people get hurt. And the only loyalty you should have is to yourself and then your family beyond that. But primarily yourself, because you're the ones that are paying the bills for yourself. So uh, essentially, there's opportunities to get in while the price is very low. Stay in. We're not encouraging you necessarily to be a trader, although that's entirely your option. But if you find a good deal right now on a stock that's been around for a while, on a company that's been around for a while, and you see the potential for a gain in the market, and you're really educated By gosh, enjoy the ride because there's no other time where you can potentially make 500 to 1,000 times your investment dollar. That's true. And of course, there's never anything wrong with like the little stock in my example going from 4 cents to say 12 cents. Absolutely nothing wrong with selling a portion of your portfolio in that shares if you'd have bought it at 4 or 5 cents. Sell off part of it. Now you're playing with the house's money. So your personal investment is out and you just ride this and see what happens. Out of all the newsletters out there, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great services. I'll throw myself in this same category. A lot of us are good at suggesting what to buy, and maybe our timing is good on what to buy. Very few are great on when to get the hell out of Dodge. When do we sell? Everybody gets emotionally involved in these companies, and we all want them to go to the moon, but we all have to get smarter here in this whole sector. And yes, we're still sitting here today doing this interview because we are have weathered the storm. We're the survivors of this storm and look forward to these better days. I think probably soon we're going to see some of these, and I think they're 
some newsletters are kind of disappearing on us. We don't see the news. Nobody puts out a press release that, hey, I'm just going out of business. But I think the number of probably newsletters in the resource sector is probably uh, dropped by several here over the last six months to a year. The guys that really have families to support and have done a good job in the good times that probably have lost probably 80% or more of their subscriber base, it's like, wow, you're back to work or whatever. So I've got a unique service, what I do with the Warrant Database, and now we're in the U.S. market as well, which have been doing really good. And so, gosh, with some of these five-year warrants trading on, on the biotechs and the pharma companies, there have been many that have gone up 500% or more just over the last few months. And it's really cool, those opportunities. Now, there's so many companies that I personally cannot research each company that has a warrant outstanding. And this is why I always suggest to the listeners, to potential subscribers, you need to know the list of all these companies that has warrants trading because some of the companies, they may be your hot companies and you may not know that they actually have a stock warrant that's trading. And so for a little bit of money for my service, you get the list and you get all our leverage calculations. You get all of the particulars on these warrants. It's all right there at your fingertips. So uh, a lot of good stuff, but uh, it's been an interesting ride for me being in this business and meeting so many people. And we're looking forward to the next big move up in the resource sector and, you know, just have some good times and everybody get a smile back on their face. Because we know some of our friends that you've recently visited with up in the Vancouver area. Yeah, you kind of get kind of grumpy when the business is not going too well. I know the names that you talked about. It'll be cool when we can see smiles upon their faces one more time and everybody's doing well. And that will be coming soon. Well, Dudley, it's always a pleasure to speak with you Uh, and this time here in Los Angeles we've had a bunch of great fun this past week some of it most of it we really probably should discuss I'm I'm just kidding (laughs) the website is commonstockwarrants.com that's commonstockwarrants.com visit it and Dudley how can our listeners email you the best would just be just go to support at commonstockwarrants.com if you've got some questions or something that we can answer and get you prepared to become a subscriber. Right now, I still have a special deal going for a limited time, guys. For $1, $1, you can sign up and you're going to get a seven-day access, free access to the service. After seven days, of course, our regular pricing is going to kick in, but I want you to be able to, for almost nothing, to be able to see what the heck we are offering you. And so, by all means, right Right now, take advantage of this opportunity because I'm not going to leave it up very much longer. Now, I was encouraged to do this, and I argue back and forth. Man, you're getting a lot of information for $1. Why? I must be out of my mind to continue doing this. But I want you to be able to see it and get convinced that, yeah, Dudley's really got a great service. This is something that you need to subscribe to on a long-term basis because warrants expire and new warrants are issued. So you have to know all of the warrants that are outstanding at any given time. That's why you need to hang around. I want everybody to take a look. So this would be a great time to come in right now for almost nothing for $1 and get to see what the heck I'm doing. Dudley Baker, again, the website commonstockwarrants.com. Very happy to have you on the program today. Thanks for joining me. Great to be here, Ellis. You can listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on your phone or anywhere else you can download iTunes. 
I'm Ellis Martin. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Wellgreen Platinum. Wellgreen Platinum is a Canadian mining exploration and development company focused on the active advancement of its 100% owned Wellgreen PGM and nickel project toward production. A 2015 economic assessment shows the Wellgreen project located in the Canadian Yukon to be potentially the second largest PGM producer outside Southern Africa and Russia with average annual production of over 200,000 ounces platinum, palladium, and gold, along with 128 billion pounds of nickel and copper from just 34% of the pit-constrained resource, making it possibly one of the largest in the world. Estimates show that once in production with assets near or at the surface, this low-cost producer may generate cash flow exceeding as much as $330 million per year. Situated along a major highway in a mining-friendly jurisdiction with an active market for PGMs and nickel and with a strong management team, Wellgreen is certainly to be considered a candidate for your portfolio. Find them on the web at wellgreenplatinum.com. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. This is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.